fans, we have Rob Gardner today. And if you are active on LinkedIn, you know Rob because he's one of the sharing is caring colleagues of mine through uh, LinkedIn. And you're going to want to connect with him. But we are going to start quickly with a speed round, Rob. Okay. When you hear the word fraud, what do you think of? Uh, Problems. Ooh, I like that. What about ethics? Uh, important. And money. Money, also important. Okay, okay, that's so good. Um, uh, I reached out to Rob and he quickly responded and um, I reached out to him because you recently did an article in Pursuit Magazine. And so why don't you tell your sort of career story and how you got to be such a, I'm going to say, influencer in fraud due diligence world? Okay, so I I went to law school with kind of a two-pronged feeling of why why to do this. One, I thought maybe I would pursue a career uh, in the FBI, and and you know they they said. You know, that's one of the ways to get in. And the second, you know, I think in my dad's eyes, I would wise up and pursue something more respectable and, um, you know, uh, prestigious than my dreams, which I had at the time, which was doing some type of investigative work. Uh, so I got out of law school and I had not been dissuaded by my my investigative dreams. And I was also not anxious to go through a process of of being hired by the FBI so I went into the private sector I I got lucky in finding a position with um, a big accounting firm and they they basically needed somebody to do what no one else wanted to do and I was willing to do what what they wanted to do and I found it interesting which was uh, background research um, and using public records and, and online research. And I I entered the field in you know the the late 80s, early 90s when when kind of the online world was exploding and developing. And I so I feel like I grew up in the public records world. And when it became possible to do online research, uh, when when I started you know, a lot of our work was done through correspondence and, and sending out people and waiting weeks to get stuff back. And now, you know, 30 years later, you know, I, yeah, I'm turning things around in, you know, you know, a couple of days, you, you know, on Monday, I got a, a request, you know, we're going into this meeting today and, and this person had a very large uh, footprint, uh, many, many companies and stuff. And, you know, I, I, you know, put together a you know 15 page memorandum um i mean it's only scratching the surface of this guy but it's amazing what you can put together now you know through through public records through online through the internet uh, so so that's kind of my trajectory the the article i wrote it it, it kind of dovetailed into I, I don't know if i would say it, it, it two pet peeves of mine uh first you know there's this there's this sense that there's there's these reports that that are out there sold by uh, various companies uh, where you know you get like a a, a kind of a, a comprehensive background report 
Uh, you put in a name, you know, you get several pages. Uh, it's, you know, for the most part, good, good information. And it, my peeves are, are kind of come in two, two senses. One, you know, that, you know, people take these reports and they, you know, they treat them as a kind of, you know, real, true background research. And then they don't, you know, do, you know, come to someone like me and, and you know, get the fuller picture, um, which is more complicated, more time, time taking. And then, you know, second, you know, people who, who would, uh, you know, otherwise come to me for, for research or come to people like me, you know, sometimes get these, these reports um, and then they don't feel they need other research. But the flip side is I also think that that a lot of people in the the research community and the investigative com community kind of denigrate these reports and they they kind of sneer at them and and they use their faults I think to to also dissuade you know I don't say dissuade is the right word but but just make it less likely maybe the people use them and don't don't uh, appreciate the value of these reports so so you know I. You know, I had that, you know, both things in mind. You know, I want people to to use, uh, you know, the, the databases that are out there and take advantage of them, but then also know that there's limitations and you need to know where else to search and how else to search. So that that's what prompted the, that particular article. Okay. And the name of your firm is Manage Risk, and I'll have all this in the show notes. Um, I like so The name of the firm is Robert Gardner and Associates. My... My, oh, okay. my uh, web address is managerisks.net. Yeah, okay. Sorry, Robert Gardner and Associates, yes. And I like how you use manage, not extinguish, not find, but it's it's all about management, isn't it? R right, right. I mean, that's, I mean, a big uh, thing I, I've advocated, you know, my whole career is you you have risks and there's different ways of, of dealing with risk you know you can have a contract you can have uh, collateral uh, but but one of the best ways to deal with risks is, is through information you know the more you know in, in going into a situation the better you can you know address things or you can you know write a contract differently or you can ask for different types of warranties or guarantees uh, or, or clauses based on what you know I mean a lot of times, you know, people, um, you know, that, you know, what, what people's risk profiles, you know, and, and what's considered, you know, a red flag is, is just varies tremendously. I, you know, I've, I've seen over you know, the course of my career, you know, um, but, but the bottom line is, is if, if you don't know what you don't know, it's hard to make a good decision. So what, what I'm trying to, to get people is, is two things, you know, either, information that they they can act on or information that that gives them the ability to make another decision so a lot of times like i said like this this memorandum i i sent out today there's a lot of well i can do this i can do this i can do this i mean so you, you want to be in control of the situation you want to both know what you can know and know you know what you don't know and that's that's I think a more important question, and I think where a lot of people, you know, kind of, you know, people 
try and try and look for certainty or you know they want to be able to 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 preach certainty and i think you know, you you really can't i mean uh you know there's no such thing as a background investigation that that covers every rock and every stone i mean you're always working within a you know scope and time frame and, and budgets and information uh access so you know you're you know, i always say it's like it's like you're um you know, kind of filling up a circle, you know, where you try and square the circle. And, you know, depending on on circumstances, it's going to be how how colored in your circle is. But you're, you're never going to there's always going to be a little bit of, of white in, in any kind of background investigation. So so the more you can understand both what you found and what 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 you haven't found, the, the better you can make decisions. OK, so um, because I consider you one of the sort of leaders in this whole group of corporate due diligence, business information. Have you gotten this question yet? What is AI going to do for the industry? I mean, it's funny because in the nineties, you know, when, when, you know, I was working with, you know, a big firm where they were trying to, uh, create a program to do, you know, all their client acceptance investigations. And they thought they could create, you know, they could have a software, you know, where, you know, I always say it's like the bat computer, you know, where you press a button and the answer just pops out. And so, I mean, so this has been years where people have been trying to apply AI or some form of it to, to background research. And it, it obviously it it can it it can work um you know it works in these comprehensive reports you know where you have a name you have various uh uh kind of uh you know things that that tie things together social security number an address a phone number and then you you can link off of that but it's still it it, it falls apart so easily because you know primarily you know people's names are are so common right i mean every name you know kelly paxton i mean that's there's just thou- robert gardner i mean there are thousands of people in the u.s with those names i mean there's people with those names in this you know that have the same addresses the same phone numbers and it's it's very difficult for um ai to start to distinguish that stuff um that that the, the harder the, the i do more of my work on i would say not finding things than on finding things, you know, most of the work you do is, well, oh my God, look at this great lawsuit. And then, you know, you start figuring out why it's not the person you're researching. And, and I, you know, right now, I don't think AI can do that very well at all. Yeah, I actually put in, and it was only chat GPT-3. I said, is Elizabeth Holmes a white collar criminal? And it says, because she's been charged, she is a white collar criminal. Well, I mean, you know, the saying is you can indict a ham sandwich. Like you have to be convicted. So, um, and it went through 2021. Now she is a white collar criminal, but it says she's been charged. Therefore she is. So, I mean, that's just a huge mistake. Right, right, right. I mean- Right. Because, I mean, there's I mean, there's been over the last, you know, 10 or so years in, in like online searching, you know, the, the use of negative news, you know, like especially like in, um, you know, like, you know, money laundering and and political exposed persons. You know, the, you know, there's like these 
adverse media screens, right? And you know they 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 are useful, but again, it's like a lot of words. You know, you know, a lot of times that something that's negative doesn't show up in an article that has those those words that you're you're kind of look looking for. Um, like, you know, I, I've written actually a couple of blog posts on on that topic too. Um, so again, like like I, I'll use like a negative news search sometimes as you know if I'm looking you know as a way of trying winnowing out. But I always look at I'll, I'll do other types of news searches too because because I, I I don't think that you know that that captures you know it 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 just won't necessarily capture you know and you know all the things you want to want to capture like like for instance if a if a company's had you know like a, a three CEOs in a year you know that's that's a problem right but <laughs> but that won't show up in a in a negative news search you know where where would that necessarily show up in, in the words that they screen against. Yeah. So um, without giving your secret sauce, what are some of your best investigative tools? And I asked this because I was going through your website and everything. Great blog post, by the way. Um, uh, marriage obits and credit reports. Oh my God. Those are manna from heaven. Well, I, I, I guess the first thing I would say is, you know, I don't feel like I really have. I, I I don't feel like I have, you know, a secret sauce. I, I I'm a big believer that anything I do, it, it can't be replicated. But a you know, do you want to? And b you know, you know, can you? Because you know, I, uh, what I always say all the time is is doing background research is like doing tax returns. It's like you could do it yourself, but you really want someone else to do it because it just gets complicated, tiresome, cumbersome. And in you know, a lot of what, what I do, it just, it's, it's taking the time to read things, to be able to, to go through lots and lots of documents and find the things that matter. So, so I'm saying, you know, the, the secret sauce is experience. It's time. Um, it's just doing it. Uh, but as to investigative tricks or, or things that I think are, are good uh, things to look for, the, the you know the one that I say all the time, and you know I mentioned this also on my my blog a few times recently, is addresses. Um, doing online searches, public record searches using addresses um, can really lead to things that you wouldn't otherwise find. Um, I had a, a was involved in a very large case last year involving a, a substantial corporate uh, embezzlement where a a c-level employee was was funneling work to um companies you know where he had you know kind of kickbacks and, and hidden ties and and the money was then then used to purchase uh luxury real estate and and the the properties were owned by Delaware entities, and and you can't find these Delaware entities if you search, you know, by by the person's name. It's it's extraordinarily frustrating, and and I mean we have like better corporate secrecy in the U.S. than you know you have in like all these like Cayman Islands and Liechtenstein and stuff. So it's you know you set up a Delaware company, and and there's there's you know no easy way to find it through typical public record searches, but. By searching on, on addresses I knew associated with the person, I I found the the real estate 
And then once I found the real estate, I found documents associated with the, um, you know, the real estate, including like a mortgage. And then, you know, I looked at the mortgage and I saw, you know, the, the company name, but the, the target signing, signing, I'm doing on the camera, the, the document. So that's how, you know, I was able to find, find these Delaware companies. So, so my big tip is, is to use not just a person's name, but other, other things about the name. I mean, I mentioned this in the pursuit magazine post about searching on the person's image and how, how that can lead, lead to um, interesting findings. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned something and I got to ask this question um, and I haven't seen it in your blog. Uh, what is your experience with gender and let's say corporate malfeasance, or do you have any opinion about men or women and gender and corporate malfeasance? I mean, I've seen them both. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've been doing this stuff for you know 30 years or so. So I, I have seen, seen all all i have you know I've, i have seen seen frauds committed by by men by women uh by 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 all types so i i don't really it doesn't affect you know my my research per se um so i i i think it's you know pretty agnostic on that sense um obviously you know you when you're doing doing certain types of research, looking for like hidden assets, it's it's important to understand people's family members and family um, history, and you know you often find uh, things in in the other spouse's name. But it cuts both ways. I mean, I've I've seen I've seen you know looking at woman, and I've seen stuff then in the man's name, and and I've seen you know you know the obvious one, I guess you know is where you, you know the the man's properties and in, in the, the wife's name but it, it's it, it cuts both ways and i guess the other thing i i, I certainly have seen and you know i you know i'm sure i don't know if people brought this up with you with kelly is you know when you see you know a name that you're not sure is is man or woman um you know i don't think it affects the results too much but sometimes it does just you know if you find like a criminal record and it's in a you know the Kelly Paxton. If you if you if you know if it's a man or a woman, you're going to help you determine if it's the right person or something. Yeah. Um, you also had mentioned credit reports, and in Oregon, you we're limited using credit reports, but credit reports I think tell a huge story about a person's lifestyle choices, things like that. Oh yeah, I mean if you if you have access to a to a credit report, I mean it's it's a it's a gold mine. I mean, the I guess the the problem is, is that most you know background investigative situations you don't have access to that because you either are involved you know like often I'm involved you know as litigation is either anticipated or is is being commenced. So so like a lot of times people are like, you know, should we file this lawsuit? So if you have the judgment, then you can get a you can get a credit report. Um, in, mo in most employment situations, you can you can you can get a credit report. Uh, if you have that, it, there's there's so many interesting leads, and it's not just you know oh there's there's credit cards, but it's it's you know what kind of accounts are there? When were the accounts 
opened? Um, you know, who's making inquiries? Uh, you know, who's listed as as employers? There's there's lots of little little nuggets that can can be ascertained. And then the other thing is like, like I I had a, a case just a little side. I had a case years ago. It was involving a there was an employee, and he he was like a, a like a tech guy and and the police came and they took his computer and it turned out he was involved in like some some kind of computer hacking or something you know at the at the company and then they they brought me in and they're like you know he was such a great employee you know how could this happen and i you know i i didn't you know say i don't know and i said do you have an employee employment file for the guy and they said, yeah. And I, I said, did you, you know, did you do a background investigation? And they said, yeah. And they, they gave me the file with the background investigation. And there was a credit report that was like, like literally like 30 pages long. And this guy was like, you know, 25 years old when, when, you know, this happened with the police. And I'm like, like, why would someone 30 years old, I mean, I'm saying this backwards. Why would someone 20, 25 have a 30 page credit report? It made no sense. But you know, so they didn't. You know, they just looked at the credit report and they saw no negative, you know, balances or something. And they said, "Well, it looks good." And they didn't think through, "Well, what else is out there? What else could it mean?" And the fact that why would someone, you know, this this young have so many accounts? I mean, it was such an obvious red flag. But it, you know, I just so I love that story about how, you know, HR people often, you know, they, you know, they don't they don't see the the risks in front of them. It was just checking the box. Yes. 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 And, and and it wasn't even just checking the box because, you know, the to, to their credit, I guess, you know, the, the obvious red flags weren't there. I mean, there was no you know negative accounts. There were no bankruptcies. There were no judgments or, you know, things that, you know, you would like look for in, in a credit report. So that's my you know, I guess what we're trying to get at is is there's often things in the credit report that that you don't look for if you're just assessing, you know, whether the person is you know good credit risk but from an investigative standpoint there's there's you know also often you know many other things you can glean so in this sort of world that you live in and i know this from your blog is you do a lot of international work it, do you have like a breakdown is it half and half is it you know you well, I, would say it's, more I would say maybe world? i would say maybe 15 percent a year maybe 15, 20, I guess. Um, and it depends. I mean, in some years I've had some very substantial international projects and, and some years, you know, not, not a lot. I, I recently, uh, was involved in a project in the middle East. Um, you know, looking at, you know, for, for a company that had some issues with employees and, and suspected some, some you know, kind of corporate malfeasance and they were looking for background on, on these people. Uh, it's it's really interesting doing doing international you know research because you you know you you run into issues with you know data restrictions uh, you know lack of, of public records um, on one hand and in some ways you have more public records in, you know outside the U.S. so in most countries uh, companies are required to file. Uh, you know, statutory audit reports. So like if you're looking at a company in the UK, you know, even, you know, 
you know, even, you know, mom and pop companies are going to file some type of annual reports, you know, with companies house and you're going to have some kind of financial information. On the other hand, you can't really do a, you know, a good, you know, litigation search. So it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of pluses and minuses when you, when you do international stuff, uh, you know, you, you know, you run into language problems. So, so when I'm doing international research, you know, I'm looking for people who, you know, who, who can look at local language materials as well as, you know, do, you know, the appropriate public records checks. Um, I think I have a pretty good sense of a uh, pretty good, good uh, outlet of people. And, you know, the, you know, the value in doing this stuff for, for the, as many years as I've been doing it is you don't have to know every person in the world, but if you just know a few, you know, sharp people, you know, you can always rely on them to point you to the right person. Yeah. That's what I tell my clients is if I don't know it, I'll find the person who does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, so Again, not for your secret sauce, but what are some resources or conferences or training things that you kind of consider must-haves? Are there any that you kind of consider must-haves that you attend or you look forward to that monthly newsletter? Or, I mean, I I, I like the um, the OSINT newsletter that gets sent out every couple of weeks. Uh, you know, I. I mean, we're obviously we're talking about the stuff that's on LinkedIn, the stuff that like uh, Brian Willingham, Abby Klein put out. Uh, I mean, I'm I I as a solo person and you know, running my own shop, I I've been somewhat negligent in going to conferences of late. So it's it's hard. For, I I I. I wish I had a better answer. <laughs> you know, I think really, you know I, I should have a good answer. But but it's just more for me lack of of uh, you know just being not not vigilant and keeping up with with conferences. But I do like uh, you know those newsletters. I like the stuff that gets that gets posted by uh, people like like that. Um, my friends Andrew Keith and Jenner Markovich. Um, oh, yeah. You know they also you know post good stuff uh, you know on, on LinkedIn. Um, you know Andrew and I have. You know, we've been colleagues and uh, friends for, uh, gosh, you know, many, many, many years. So, so a lot of, you know, we talk with each other, we bounce things off of each other. Uh, you know, we, we, we've helped each other a lot over the years. Um, so, so there are a few other uh, uh, people like that that I that I know. Uh, you know, I just had uh, coffee a couple of weeks ago. Um. Uh, uh, with uh, uh, Phil Siegel, and yeah. that's the kind of stuff that's uh, you know really helpful networking and and seeing what other people are doing in the same kind of situations. So I I wish I would be more diligent in going to conferences, but sorry, I, I can't I can't recommend anything. Okay. Um, are you a big reader? Like, do you read fiction, nonfiction? Yes. Yes. And it's so, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I came up saying everything. I guess I blogged about that. I mean, I, when I was, you know, manager at Arthur Anderson and I had like a team of people and I had to, you know, give them reviews every, you know, 
couple of, of months or something, I would constantly be telling them, I said, you know, the way to become a good, you know, investigator, a good researcher is not to learn, you know, how to, you know, plug in names into the database, but it's just to expand your worldview, to, to understand, you know, to, to read, to read the Wall Street Journal and, and, and see, you know, you bring up like, like, um, you know, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, you know, to read, you know, to know those stories before they happen. So then when you do see something like that, it, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I've seen that before. Um, you know, you understand or you've seen that name. I mean, uh, I used to have like it used to be like every time I, I had a company that was based in, in I, I that I was investigating that was based in Englewood, Colorado. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a penny stock fraud company. And I, I mean, and, and it was like 80 <laughs> percent was true because I just knew from all my experience that that that's you know the, all these companies that were based in Angola, Colorado were 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 scam companies. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of, of good companies in Englewood. So if, if anyone's <laughs> in Englewood, don't come after me. Um, but it's it's I think that's a really good point. Really, really good point. Um, you know, you you should be you know the best way to be a good researcher is is to read 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 as much as you can. Um, you know, the business press, uh, you know, books on. Uh, you know, I just read this year the um, the Joe Lowe, the Billion Dollar Whale. Um, yep. That's that's a really good book, you know, for people who are doing, you know, because the, the, you know, boy, that's a, a story of, of due diligence, you know, that, you know, failures up the wazoo and, and people, um, you know, these firms, Goldman Sachs, you know, they 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 had some sense of of their problems and they just ignored it because, you know, they thought, you know, it was it wasn't, you know, worth pursuing um so yes there's lots and lots of good good books on the subject of fraud crime white collar crime um it's not very hard like i say if you read the wall street journal on a regular basis you're going to run across uh good stories um so ftx and sam bankman freed are you following that pretty closely oh yeah yeah i um so i i i you know was in, you know, tasked, you know, to, to look at, at them, you know, before it, it, you know, before it blew up. So, you know, they were on my radar, um, you know, well before this all happened. And, you know, when I did it, when I looked at them, you know, it's funny, I went back and I looked at, at my memorandum and, and I definitely picked up on, you know, there was, you know, the questions of like what this, this Alameda research did and, and certain, opaqueness and you know obviously you know even back then you know the fact that they had you know they were located in um you know offshore and i forgot which some you know one of these like island nation countries you haven't heard of was where their headquarters was so there was like a lot of of questions about the things that just didn't make sense is how they were operating the business so it it, it it's not like i I directly predicted, you know, the, the calamity that it was, and it didn't seem like it was, I, it was going to be like that, but there were definitely were things that didn't, that were like astray. Um, when I looked at them. I can't wait. M Michael Lewis spent a lot of time with SBS yeah. and he's getting some grief about it. Um, it's interesting. Cause he's, he's, um, he's, I guess fr friends with the family. Oh, um, I didn't know he was friends with the family. Yeah, yeah, I believe he's um because it's really interesting. I'm you know, the this the kind of the culpability and liability of, of his parents, 
you know, is, is kind of an open question, right? And I guess Michael Lewis is friends with the um, with the families. My understanding, I, hopefully, I, and we can fact check. I guess this the podcast, but I'm pretty sure that that's that's the situation. Um, you know, the father is a pretty prominent um, law professor, I believe, in, in California. Um, and I think that's that's Michael Lewis. You know, just their family friends. So yeah, I mean. I, I, again, you know, we talk, you know, just a dovetail back to like fiction, you know, nonfiction and reading. I mean, some of Michael Lewis's stuff. I mean, that's why, like, um, you know, his book on, um, you know, Simon Brothers and 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 Wall Street and, uh, you know, the all that back in the, I don't know if that was in the 80s or 90s, 80s. but then, yeah, you know, that's that was, you know, one of the, you know, I would say, um, what's the word? Like, you know, kind of, it, it, you know, something I read way back in the day that helped me and helped me understand things. Um, so, I, yeah, I always, I always liked his stuff. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of wrap up here, do you have like a favorite movie in kind of the white collar crime <laughs> realm? Well, that's why, I mean, I, huh. In, in the white collar crime, I just watched <laughs> yesterday Casino, which... I, you know, it's a great movie. I love, and it's also I, the book itself is is really interesting. It's, I mean, it's white collar crime, you know, but it's, it's obviously you know the mob and organized crime as well. But it's a really interesting story also about how organized crime in you know can get its hooks into people. Um, you know, that aspect of it is is less portrayed in in the movie, but um, but it's a really interesting story and. You know, if you're kind of, you know, interested in, in the more, you know, dirtier side of fraud, you know, that that's a really good one. Um, you know, it's funny, I, I, you know, I really enjoyed reading the um, the Archer Daniels book. I'm trying to, is that the Inside Man? But I never saw the movie. Yeah. So, um, I, but, you know, the, the books are always better than, than the movie anyways, right? Yeah. Um, it, the big short i love the book loved loved the movie i thought yeah i, I like them yeah that's interesting interesting yeah and good and, due diligence uh, yeah and you know just as a general you know we like tips and stuff i mean you know watching these short sellers and and looking at some of the reports are are fantastic examples of, of public record research and, and you know people want to learn from from stuff look at look at some of those um reports i think are, are great um guides yeah yeah thank you so much rob this has been awesome i want to have you back um uh and i look forward to even more postings because really you guys he posts great stuff in um uh oh one last author do you like patrick radden keefe i'm on a patrick radden keefe binge no, I'm sorry. I'm 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 not. Is that a fiction writer? Ooh. Oh. Okay. Um. Oh so, so, yeah. You have to send me the stuff. I mean. I'm, yeah. I'm, so I'm Empire open. of Pain, which is about the Sackler family. Uh huh. He wrote that. Um. He also has the Rogues Gallery, which is a collection of his long form uh, articles for like the New Yorker. El Chapo wanted him to ghostwrite his life. Oh yeah, oh that yeah, I, I'm familiar with that story. But yeah, so that's interesting. Send send will you email me his name? Yeah, absolutely, I will, and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, I'm going to be doing a book club on the Rogues Gallery soon, but I think you would love 
his work. He's actually, uh, he went to law school too. Um, Mm -hmm. Not a practicing lawyer. His wife is, this is, and I've probably said it on my podcast. Someone asked him, high school students asked him, uh, are you scared for your safety? Because he's done a lot of El Chapo stuff and a crime family in uh, Europe. And this was his response. I'm more scared of a billionaire and his lawyer than I am mm-hmm. of the people I interview. Interesting. That's, that's yeah. interesting. Really interesting. Well, thank you again so much, Rob. And um, we will uh, be in touch. All right. Well, again, thanks for having me. Um, that's quite an honor. <laughs>